I want to be with someone that I can proudly be like, I love this person. This person's amazing. This is like my partner. We're taking over the world together. You know, we're conquering challenges and adversities together. And I want to be able to talk about the person that I appreciate. I want it for me and her because I care. And it's like how would I feel in the moment. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It is your boy, Cabana, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Lewis Howes, who runs the School of Greatness podcast, one of the top podcasts today, which you should subscribe to. Plus, he has a super popular YouTube channel, and he's a best-selling author. So I've known Lewis in the internet world for over 10 years. And what amazes me so much about him is how he went from small-time LinkedIn marketer to literally huge mainstream influencer and inspirational dude. His attitude today and tactics are super clear why he's gotten so big and how we can all learn from him. In this conversation, you'll learn three gigantic things. One, how is Lewis still a beginner with 1 million YouTube subscribers? Two, what was it like to actually meet Kobe Bryant and the biggest surprise of meeting him? And three, how he found the love of his life. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Quick plug, check out tidycal.com, brand new scheduling tool our team made. It is the simplest tool online and most affordable. And before we dive into the show, make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash okdork. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener freddyw 5 from Germany. He left a review saying, I don't know how to do German accent anyways. He said, what a show. If you're running a business or planning on doing so, do yourself a favor and listen to the Taco King, aka Mountain Bike, aka Noah Kagan. Freddy, I love you, dog. Thank you, every single one of you guys for listening to the show. And if you want a shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. I check every single one of them. I need to take a minute with you, dude. It's been a, what a fucking ride. It's been a while, man. You've been crushing YouTube, man. Yeah. I've been watching you since a year ago when you kind of got into consistency. I was like, okay, let me see. I watched most of the videos, but I've been watching before. Really? Yeah, but I was watching before you started to up the production. And then I started seeing all the different strategies for the production because I've been studying it as well. So I'm like, oh, he's doing this right. He's doing this right. And then I'm just like, okay, that's, that's smart. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's been, you've been doing a great job, man. Stay consistent. By the end of this year, it's going to be a crush, I bet. What are you observing? Like, because I think you're looking at, you know, your, your little podcast, School of Greatness is your podcast. You're looking at greatness all the time. Like, I'm observing how you're latching on to other, every other big video. You're being very strategic with the videos you're making and you're pulling in suggested users. You're not going for a browse. You're going for a suggestion from my understanding because that's how I'm doing it. I'm trying to latch on to another big video and pull audience all over the place back to to my channel and and I don't really care if the video takes off in the first 3 to 4 days. Yes, I want it to, but it's they all pop after like a week for me because I know what to do in the first minute to make sure that the watch time is over 50 to 70% in the first 60 seconds. I know what to do by end screen. I'm, I'm just like tweaking every little thing. And so I see what you're doing in your first minute, the end screens, the getting people to like it throughout, subscribe and titling and thumbnail to pull from other audiences. Two things that, that, that amaze me. One, I think when people look at someone like yourself, they look at me, they look at you know people that they would label as successful, they, they assume that we stop. And so it's always nice to hear and be reminded like yourself, you're like, hey, I'm still learning. I'm studying others. I'm admiring others. Like I'm, I'm in Clubhouse listening to YouTube experts talk about YouTube shorts right now. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to learn? And how do I, how do I maximize this? So I'm, I'm learning constantly from YouTube people because I feel like it is the present and the future. Well, I just admire that you're still learning. And I, I think it's just a, such a fresh reminder. I mean, I'm interviewing people all day long. I'm constantly learning. But the, the second thing, man, I got to give you mad props, dude. Like I met you 10 years ago. Yeah. And you were, I think you're, you're kind of like the LinkedIn guy. Yeah. I was doing like internet marketing stuff. And then I was just like, I want to transition out of this. I want to use internet marketing principles to build mainstream brand. Can you walk me through that journey? Cause I'm, I'm, there's a lot of people on LinkedIn like, hey, I'm doing this thing. And I think you took it and you like took it to this professional next level of like a mainstream celebrity, like a mainstream like, you know, educator, entertainer. Yeah, it's been the whole mission is to do the hard things that most people in the industry are unwilling to do. That's been my whole like identity almost of like, okay, I'm going to jump in this new industry and I'm going to do the things that are hard to do that most people don't want to do that take time, energy, that, that doesn't have overnight instant gratification, but is a two to three year play that'll start to pay off dividends and exponentially help me kind of grow. Then, uh, for example, when I got into podcasting, it's been eight years now, it was pretty much audio for everyone, right? First off, podcasting itself eight years ago was 
not cool. It was not sexy. It was hard. People didn't even know where to go and find the podcast app on their phone. Like you had to educate people. Here you go to your phone, you download this purple thing. You then have to go and type in the words, the school of greatness. Then you have to click the subscribe button to be notified. You had to like tell them 37 steps just to go listen to your show. And it wasn't easy to actually publish a podcast eight, nine years ago. It was actually like clunky. There weren't all these platforms like there are now to make it simple. But I remember before that, I was doing more online marketing, internet marketing, creating courses, which was kind of ahead of its time too. Now there's, this was before there were course platforms and it was like clunky doing that. But I was like, uh, everyone's getting into this now. Everyone's like starting to get into courses. How do I zag? Well, everyone's coming into something. How do I elevate uh, in a different way? Not go away from it, continue to build courses and use something else to drive back to it. But how do I, how do I continue to differentiate? And um, I had this vision of a podcast when I moved to LA. Actually, I talked to a couple of people that had a podcast, Pat Flynn and Derek Halpern both had shows for like three to six months. And I was like, called them both. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this podcasting thing. Tell me about it. Can you make money? Is this interesting? And they were like, both of them said, it's the most fun they have. And it's the best connection they have to their audience in that platform based on all their platforms. And I said, I feel like this is something I could do. I have no idea if this is going to work out, but let me do it for a year consistently every week, not try to make money, but just try to learn it and have fun. And I feel like it's kind of like what you did probably starting out YouTube when you did, you were like, okay, let me get in here, figure it out. I feel like this could be big, but I'm going to do it every week and just kind of like have fun with it. And by doing that, it really started to pay off after a year, two, three, five years. It's like, okay, everything started to work out. And as the podcasting space got bigger, now everyone's jumping in. So I remember saying five and a half years ago, I said, okay, I've been doing this for three years almost. And now more and more people are trying to get in this space how can I differentiate? And I remember thinking, I've got to film these because everyone's just doing audio. No one, maybe like some tech podcast was doing video or Joe Rogan, a couple of people, but no one is really posting their stuff on YouTube five, six years ago consistently like this in the podcasting world that I was aware of. And I was like, I got to hire a full-time video editor. I got to like find a producer. I got to, you know, got to buy all the equipment. I got to do this. Because it's a way for me to differentiate. It's also a way for me to create up short content put it on social media, which no one was really doing at that time. And so I invested team, energy, resources into all of it. And I put up video content for five years and I did not monetize it. I did not monetize it. I did not turn it on. And a year ago, I said, I wonder if I can make any money on YouTube because I was just posting videos and I wasn't thinking about it. But I wanted it to be free content and really just drive people back to the audio. And I remember turning on the ads in January of last year. And it was like 20 grand that came in from turning it on just a few videos. And I was like, there's like some money here. It's not like it's real money, but it's not like big money. But there's like, okay, it can pay for some team members and buy some stuff. Like, okay, great. And cover my hosting costs. And I was like, let me go all in on YouTube. This was a year ago. We had 500,000 ish subs and we're getting about a million and a half views a month, kind of just consistently slow growth, million and a half views a month for like a couple of years. I didn't want to have the ads turned on because I honestly just didn't want other internet marketers to promote their courses or Ferraris on my videos. I was just like, eh, I don't want that. I want it to be free content. I just want to give value and help people. And then I realized like every video I'm watching has ads and it's probably hurting me by not having ads because YouTube's not, they're not incentivized to push it if they're not making money. So I was like, okay, well, let me turn on the ads. Now everyone's used to it anyways. And when I did that, it just started to, first off, I put my time and attention on optimizing thumbnails, headlines, like being creative around strategy of content and not just let's record a video and throw it up there. But by going all in on that, I brought in a consultant on YouTube to really help with it. He's been amazing, hired other people on my team to focus their time and attention. And I started to obsess over the data. I know you're amazing at data and analyzing data and you're, you're brilliant at that. I'm more of like a creative artist, but I started to really obsess over data because I realized when I can understand data and what's really working in the algorithm, patterns, all that stuff, and I can be artistic and creative and connect to the heart with people in interviews and match those two things and marry them, then it could be an explosion of possibilities. And so over the year, we went from like, you know, half a million subs to a million subs in a year from a million and a half views a month consistently over the years to... 8 million views a month in the last three, four months now. 
and uh, the revenue just continues to grow. So it's been an amazing, you know, but I did that five years ago. I got on YouTube like consistently five years ago with content ahead of everyone else kind of jumping into YouTube. And so I'm always trying to think, what's the thing I need to invest in now that's not going to pay off for two, three, four, five years, but it's going to lay a foundation for people, you know, when it's going to explode. So that's, that's how I'm thinking of my brand, elevating the brand, strategizing. And it's just not easy. It's not fun because you got to do things that take a long time until you get a reward from it. You know, I, was, I interviewed uh, Patrick Bet David, who's got Valuetainment, a big YouTube channel as well. And I was texting with him the other day, and I had him on recently, and I was texting with him the other day. He's got a book called Your Next Five Moves. And it's all about like analogies of chess. Like, what are your next five moves? And a lot of us are reactive to, oh, we got to be on Clubhouse. Oh, we should be on TikTok. Oh, we should do this thing. But it's like, why? Is it, oh, I should invest in NFTs right now. Uh, you know, I should do sports cards. I should do crypto now, 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 because I can make a return in three months, as opposed to what's the thing. Like, how is that part of your next five moves, he would say? Like, what is the bigger vision, the bigger game you're playing? Well, is that going to support my second move or my third move or my fifth move? Is that helping build the foundation for something bigger, something more scalable? And that's why I'm also went from one employee a year ago to 15 employees now. And I've always had agencies and freelancers, and I've never fully gone all in on investing in a team. It's always been kind of like, well, I like it lean and mean and, you know, I don't know if I want to manage people and deal with hiring and firing and all these logistics, but it's also limited me in getting the results that I've been to. And so I'm like, if I really am up to a big dream and a big vision and mission, then I've got to get people fully bought into this. I can't just have people coming in and out and training people and then they leave and, you know, agencies and then they leave. It's like, I can't do it and I can't do it all on my own. So I'm thinking, okay, I need to invest in team. I need to invest in training people, building leaders. And it's been hard for me because I don't know what I'm doing. So I got to develop new skills and make mistakes and fail. But I feel like, okay, if I've got 20, 30, 40 employees in the next few years, that is a engine of positivity. Imagine what we could build as opposed to me being the only employee with a few freelancers, you know, trying to hack together growth. It just doesn't work as well from my experience. Yeah, man. One of the phrases I think a lot about really often is like an amateur versus professional. And you meet some of these people that are doing YouTube or frankly, any business out there. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of dabble and I do a little, it's like, well, you shouldn't expect great results not doing great work. Or trying to do many things at the same time. It's tough. Well, I remember when, so Mitchell, who's our director of the channel and we, we hired Jeremy, who's our, our lead producer. I remember literally the day we, we put out the offer to him, I was like, I had a lot of regret. So he quit his job. He's working with Tom Bilyeu, who's I think a friend of yours as well. Oh, Jeremy, is this the guy? Yeah, Jeremy. Jeremy's amazing. And so we, we made the offer and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, dude, like, that's like whatever amount of money a year. And now I have to pay this guy and he's quit his job. And like, holy shit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck his life up. What if we don't do it as well as him over there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like Tom's a buddy. And, but it was an interesting thing to like, take yourself more seriously and believe in myself and believe in our channel and the same as, as you were doing with your business. And invest in it. And how has it paid off? He's amazing. It, I honestly, like this literally no joke. I'm going to just show you no joke today. I, I have a, what am I grateful for? So this is like every morning I have like a, I have a note on my Apple Notes. This morning, it was Jeremy and Mitchell on the Dork team. And they're focused solely on YouTube, right? Yes. The video editor is amazing, whoever that is. The script writer is amazing, whoever that is, because you kind of remind me of like a little bit of like Andrew Schultz for YouTube, but more positive, snarky business entrepreneurship content as opposed to like bashing mainstream culture or, you know, just making fun of like cultural topics because you have this witty energy and personality that's funny as well. So you've really hit a, a theme and a format that works really well. And as you continue to build different formats and plug them in, it's going to be cool to see which ones are really popping for you. The format you have right now is really smart. I just know how much time it takes to do a 15-minute video scripted like this. It takes so much time and energy. And that's why I like interviews, because I don't have to script, like script it and then hit it on the you know mark and teleprompter or read it and remember it's just a lot and i mean the challenge lately is we do some of these videos like we've tried 100 videos so we always talk about the law of 100 and, and two things i want to highlight that i really admired about what you said is just the keep studying you know i think that the six people just don't stop studying and um like i'm i'm buying youtube books i'm i'm hiring consultants i'm doing what's crazy is you have over a million subscribers like you have one of the you're in the top one percent which is still amazing to say that you're like hey i'm still trying to learn how to elevate my game i feel like it's small because i'm hanging out with people that have you know 10 20 million subscribers and i'm learning from them and i'm like man these guys are just 
crushing. But I also am very grateful. I'm like a million people. Like that's a lot of people. If I put them all in, how many stadiums would that be? It's like we compare to what we don't have or what someone else has. And I'm I'm really grateful, but also I'm like, how do we continue to grow and cultivate it? So I'm just trying to learn from from everyone. Well, I think one thing to to also kind of highlight there, I, I was, you know, entrepreneurs in cars, Richard Cooper, really interesting guy. Uh, a lot of he talks about a lot of dating advice and being an alpha male. And someone in the chat asked, they said, "No, how many close friends do you have?" And I was like, "I have eighteen of them." And I do a, a meeting with them, so I know how many are. But the thing that actually stuck out with me that you just said is, it's not that you're comparing about better or worse, but you're hanging out with the next level. Because I think a lot of times we're, I was just thinking, I was like, yeah, I don't really have, like, you're on the next level to me. So I'm like, I'd like to be around and learn from Lewis. So it's more just like, how do we put ourselves geographically like LA or online with these kind of things? And I think Clubhouse has been like a great equalizer for a lot of people to learn and just listen from there's experts on every topic, not just YouTube, but that I'm able to just jump in. I, anytime there's a YouTube room, I jump in and I listen for 30 minutes. And I just like, okay, well, who can I learn? From? How can I learn from this person? What are they saying that I don't know? And then I'll DM them and say, hey, thank you for sharing this tip. And let me know if you have any suggestions. And I'm constantly obsessing over it because I see the power of YouTube. I feel like YouTube and TikTok are kind of like internet culture right now. Uh, whatever happens on YouTube and TikTok is what happens in the world, in my opinion. It's like what I'm witnessing and seeing. And I just continue to see YouTube as a powerful engine for good. The reason why I love it is because videos that I've posted from two, three, five years ago will get hundreds of thousands of views monthly still sometimes and will continue to pop off. Whereas audio is more linear. Where it's kind of like, okay, you're more of your recent episodes are the ones that are getting downloaded or listened to. Yes, I have a back catalog that gets millions of listens overall every month, but it's more of like the most current things are getting listened to more frequently. Whereas YouTube, because of Google's algorithm, it's just like someone can watch a video from five years ago and feel like it's fresh and new just because it's exactly what they're looking for. It's exactly what they're typing in, or it's recommended based on something they just watched. And that is a powerful machine. Again, I just continue to thank my five, six year, uh, years ago self for investing in something that made me no money for five years, for investing in people and equipment and time and energy to do video. And luckily, it's starting to pay off. Because I like what you're saying. You, you thank your five, you know, not five-year-old self, but your five, five years, years ago. Self. <laughs> yeah. Maybe your five-year self too. But I guess what, what's the five-year thing you're going to thank yourself now for the next five years? You know, it's funny. I've been in therapy a lot lately. And it's been amazing. And I'm a big fan of therapy and therapeutic experiences, whether it's uh, workshops, talk therapy, whatever it is. And uh, I try different stuff all the time. And I actually do a lot of therapy on my show. Where I bring on therapists and just like workshop stuff. My therapist. <laughs> told me to put a photo of myself somewhere from when I was five. And so I have a photo of myself on my phone. It might be like weird uh, to look at. You can't really see No, that's it. not weird. That's kind of cool. And I, I don't know if it's actually five, but it might be like seven. But I put a photo of myself in the last couple of weeks because I've been doing a lot of exercises. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of exercises and visualizations with my five-year-old self and helping my five-year-old self let go of certain things that have been holding me back and embracing my five-year-old self and in telling myself, five-year-old self, how proud I am of what he overcame over the last 25 years or 30 years, 35 years or whatever. So it's been fun to look back, not only at five-year-old self, but five years ago self and say, okay, I'm really grateful that you didn't eat all that junk food every single day because I'm still healthy and I have a lot of energy. I'm really grateful that you invested in YouTube and video quality because we were able to film a documentary because we had all this back catalog of content. We we're doing a PBS special. We're maximizing on YouTube. We have content for other social media platforms visually because you invested in it. And I'm asking myself, what's the thing that I'm going to be proud of five years from now? It's kind of like that Matthew McConaughey speech in reverse. It's like, I'm always chasing the 10-year-old self in front of me of like what that is. And I'm always looking back and saying, man, I'm proud of the person that I was for having the foresight, the courage, the risk-taking to invest, do, or be something that was hard. It's funny. We're so, I don't know. I think about this a lot the past, this year, especially, like just how hard I am on myself. What are you hard on yourself about? Not being farther along, not having bigger growth, not making more money. Yeah, like dating, like you're not married. Uh, I think I'm hard on myself. Like, like for example, on Monday, I got to Puerto Rico. That's where I'm at right now for the for a few weeks. Dorado Beach or where? what part are you? Condado uh, Beach. And I was supposed to make a YouTube video on Tuesday. I didn't do the video. And then at night I was like- You're tired. You didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then my buddy Eric's like, why don't you just do it tomorrow? 
And then I woke up the next day, I did the next day. I was like, man, I'm a fucking great person again. Yeah. <laughs> but just like, you know, just kind of tough, man. Like, you know, the level of, some of us have these like self-imposed expectations or self-imposed goals that, uh, like I, one thing that's changed a lot for me this year, I guess reflecting on it, I stopped doing checklists. I was doing all these checklists. Like every day I have to do these things to make my day great. And it would be like, I have to read, I have to study Hebrew, I have to drink four ounces of water or four glasses of water. And uh, kind of woke up, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. And I was like, is this making your life better? Or are you just like imposing these like restrictions that like, if you don't do Hebrew, your day's not gonna be a great day. I don't know. And there's a balance because sometimes like, yeah, having like a checklist or a goal does make the shit better. And sometimes it's like, Am I just like a, a prisoner to this stuff? Yeah, because if you don't do it, then you're beating yourself up every night and saying that like, oh, I didn't do these three things. I'm a bad person. Let me go have a, a full cake and uh, feel better about myself because I feel like crap. I don't think I have done a checklist in, I don't know, years, uh, maybe five, 10 years. And what I do is I just have a schedule and I schedule the things that are the most important. And if they're in the schedule, then I do them or I renegotiate the schedule. But that way, I'm not beating myself up of, I need to constantly check things off a list. I schedule my time based on my biggest priorities for that day, week, month, you know, year. And I live by a schedule. So, and schedules can change and adjust and adapt. It doesn't have to be like set in stone if I didn't do it. And I can always delete the thing off my schedule if I don't want to do it and reschedule it another time. So for me, the things that are important or are priority in my life are meditation, are Spanish class working out, and then the stuff I have with my team and, and my content and my business. My work hours are scheduled for the most important things that bring me energy and help build the business. Before it, you know, this morning I had my schedule 8 a.m. Spanish lesson, and I paid and invested for it. So I have skin in the game to I show up to it. And so it's, and it's a person that's there on Zoom with me that's teaching me because it's a priority. So if it's not scheduled, it's not going to happen. But if I have it on a checklist and I keep pushing the checklist off, I feel unproductive. So it's just trying to re rewire it a little bit. If it's a big priority, schedule it. Don't put it on a checklist. You know, one thing, and I want to get into the kind of two, two higher level topics we were talking about before the show. How do you think there's a lot of people that are creating content? And I like that you talked about consistency, but there's a lot of people on LinkedIn. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of YouTubers. The two things for me is that I think, what, did you, what do you think that you've done that's helped you elevate to stand above the crowd? And how are you thinking about differentiating moving forward? A few things. One, consistency. You know, eight years of showing up. We've been doing it three times a week for the last seven years now, or excuse me, six years. It was once a week for the first year, twice a week for the second year, and then it's been three times a week ever since the third year. So eight years of consistently showing up as new players come in and as the podcast space went through them, I think, I think maybe 100,000 podcasts then. Now there's over a million podcasts. And as every network celebrity and their dog has a podcast now it's how do i continue to evolve and upgrade and five years six years ago it was like when everyone's jumping in just audio we need to do video and do the thing no one else is doing when people are coming in for six months with a big bang and then they stop for three months we got to be consistent every three times a week bigger celebrities are coming on the platform now we need to get bigger and bigger guests so a lot of it comes down like the product has got to be amazing every episode has got to be a, a standalone product that is just as good if not better than the previous episode so that's got to be the quality of content topic wise the quality of guest and my ability to interview better so those three things need to happen every single episode i'm constantly thinking how can i improve based on the feedback and the comments of the previous episode what people didn't like about me did i interrupt too much did i talk about my past too much did i say wow and um too much whatever the feedback is what is the thing that i can improve on that is going to make it better and then it's i'm constantly building relationships in the in the podcast interview format it is a relationship business yes you need to be a great interview so people enjoy the experience but you've got to be booking. If you're going to do a weekly show, you've got to be booking. And so I've been a full-time booker for eight years. And it's a constant game of emailing people, publicists, messaging people on Instagram, before going to live events and networking and all that stuff and building relationships with how do I get a, the biggest guests in the world that don't do interviews? How do I make it so desirable people have to tune in and listen? And that is not getting the same people that say the same things on every, you know, on every platform. It's finding the uniqueness of people, finding the rareness of something, the scarceness of something, and making it an abundance on my show. 
And so it's a, a process of constantly researching, reviewing, building relationships, following up with publicists for years. When I got Kevin Hart on, it took five years of reaching out to the publicist. Every couple of months throughout the year, I would follow up. I see he's got this comedy tour. I see he's got this Netflix special. I see he's got this book. I see he's got this thing, this movie. Can you fit me in? Can you get me in there? No, 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 for five years until finally he had an audio book that was a self-help book. And they were like, oh, okay. Lewis is like so much bigger now. It makes sense to draw from his audio audience to promote the audio book. And the consistency of showing up, the building of credibility over years, the then, okay, we've had this person and this guest and this celebrity, it builds more credibility. So it becomes easier and easier the longer I stick around and the longer I try to improve things. But it's hard, man. I need you to say it's easier. And when you get rich, it gets easier and you just get everything and you have to do shit and you get to go to the beach. I mean, it's definitely with more access to brilliant minds, you know, I'm making better decisions where I feel like things are able to scale in certain ways easier, but it's, there's always going to be challenges and competition and attention drawing in other places. So it's, you have to constantly reinvent. And that's what goes back to the beginning is that's why I'm always learning. The things that I was doing two years ago isn't going to necessarily work this year. With every platform constantly evolving and changing also, you've got to be studying platforms. You can't just say, oh, here's a great piece of content. Let me throw it up there. No. If you didn't have your thumbnail specifically split tested and your headline specifically split tested, it doesn't matter how great the content is. No one's going to watch it because they're not going to see it and want to click on it. So you have to obsess over that. And, and now I'm looking at YouTube Shorts and I've been studying it for two or three months now. And I'm obsessing over learning about it before we launch that on our uh, Shorts channel or creating a new channel for it. And I'm trying to figure out what's the best strategy because this is the future. And if we're not doing this, we're missing out on massive audience reach. So it's, it's just a constant study game. And finding the people that know the answers and building relationships with them. Did, did I hear you correctly that you said you still do your booking? I do all the booking. I've tried to hire bookers over the years, and no one's been able to really do it at all. And so I'm constantly still looking for bookers to come help. And we get so much inbound, but a lot of it is not someone I want to interview. So luckily, the level of expert, we interview a lot of experts at different levels in different categories where that's pretty easy to book. You know, any top doctor, relationship expert, money expert, like those are easy to book now. It's the celebrities that are still like hard, which sometimes the celebrities don't actually do as well as an expert might or another topic might, but it's what draws more attention and it brings in new audiences and it also gives it more credibility. So yeah, I'm reaching out to publicists, managers, nonstop. It's a full-time job just building you know, booking relationships. I got to give you respect because we only see that the dish tastes good. We don't see all the work that goes into like all the dishes that didn't work and all the, the recipes and the ingredients. And, you know, you're at the farmer's market. The emails, constant, constant emails, constant DMs, constant relationship building is it's a lot. It's a good reminder, man. I, I respect that. Well, you talked about two things, right? So you talked about you learning Spanish. And so last night, Mitchell, uh, who helped prep research for, for this conversation, sent me a question, which was how to meet the girl of your dreams. And, you know, you've been vocal, you had to break up, that's pretty public. I was curious about how to meet the girl of your dreams, like what's different about your current relationship? How does someone, like I'm single, and so, you know, how does other people meet the girls or the women of their dreams or men of their dreams? I'm curious to... I thought you were in a long-term relationship, that's what I was going to ask you about. I was, man, I was. Uh, broke up uh, about a year ago. Oh, man. It didn't feel right at the time. And so, you know, trusted myself in that feeling and then just kind of been exploring dating and not dating. And, and so I'm curious to hear about your journey with that. It all starts with intention and a vision and a clear vision of what that person looks like and what that experience looks like. And by no means do I want to say that our relationship is perfect and it's got its challenges and uh, dating someone from a different culture, you have to learn a lot about each other and learn about and respect each other's cultures. So I'm not going to say that this is this perfect thing, but there's definitely a connection that is undeniable and a, a love that is undeniable that uh, I've never experienced before. But it started with an intention. And I remember on my podcast, probably seven years ago, when I was single at the time, I did a live visualization of my dream girl. And I had someone facilitating me on this episode. I should go back and find it. He walked me through like kind of like a five-minute visualization meditation where I closed my eyes in this interview. So before we did the video, and he guided me through a process of like, okay, what does your heart really say? What do you really feel? What would it, what would it look like? What would the experience be? 
when you wake up in the morning, who is this woman? What does she say to you? How do you experience it? And I remember just like, I'm paraphrasing, but I just had my eyes closed and I was like, I wake up in the morning and I'm in tears because I can't believe that I've met the woman of my dreams. And she is so supportive, loving, and cares about me so much. And I just kind of like, that came out of me, something like that. Like I woke up, I wake up in the morning full of love, full of joy and in tears that I'm next to the person of my dreams. And he was like, who is this person? Like the idea of them. And I was like, they're a passionate Latin woman. I just like, this came out of me. I was just like, you know, and I'm setting the intention. And this was six years before I met her. And it was just like a process of like, okay, why? Why is this the moment of my dreams? So setting this intention for yourself to be like, why is this type of person meaningful to me, to my life, to my experience, to my future life? Why am I going to be excited about this relationship? How are they going to support my vision? What is my vision? I think when we get clarity on our personal vision, our personal dreams, then we can start to have an intention around, well, what is that person going to need to be, experience, look like, feel like, communicate with on my journey to support that vision fully? Because if they're not supporting that vision, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be some type of disconnect where you're going to have to diminish your vision to be there for someone else's unhappiness. And so it's getting really clear on who I am who I want to become. And what is that going to look like attracting someone else like that? That's been, that was the process. When I met Jeanette, I wasn't thinking about dating. I was like, I want to be single for a while. I just want to like do my thing, have fun, whatever, like take a break from dating. When I met Jeanette, I, I saw a photo of her. She started following me on Instagram and I saw a photo of her and I was like, interesting. But I was like, uh, I'm not going to, you know, try to date or anything because I'm, I'm just want to be like single for a while and have fun. But I was like, huh, this is kind of like the more I started researching, I was like, this is kind of like the dream, the visualization I had years prior of like the type of girl, whether she is that girl or not. I remember saying like, huh, that's just like the type of girl. She's a passionate, proud, like driven Latin woman who's financially independent, which I'd never been with someone who'd been fin financially resourceful on their own without needing me at that time, which I was like, I want someone who's more financially resourceful on their own before meeting me, who's super self-confident, driven, passionate, speaks Spanish, beautiful, all these things, and really caring, loving towards family, all that. And as I started to talk to her and connect with her more and more, I was like, oh shit, this might be my, my potential dream girl. And it was, a, it was definitely a, a crazy experience where I was like resisting it in the beginning because I was like, ah, I just want to be single for a while and not do this. But I was like, I'd rather this not work out. You know, I'd rather go for this and realize it wasn't the right fit than not go for this and be like, did I just miss out on my dream girl? And it's been a, you know, it's been a great journey and experience ever since of, of learning and lots of love and connection and intimacy, but setting the intention, getting really clear on what does this person how do they support the vision of my life and how can I support the vision of for their life so that we can align together has been a good thing. So I think getting clear on your intention first, like who are you going to be over the next, you know, seasons of your life and what is that person, who are they, what do they, what do they experience, what do they feel, how do they communicate, how do they express love and really setting that intention is the first step. A few things with that. That was awesome. I guess how is it different than the previous relationship? There's more better alignment than any relationship I've ever had. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to talk about one person, but previous relationships, I think I got into them not clear on the vision for my future and how we would align together. And this one is much more aligned. I also lacked the emotional courage in previous relationships in general to communicate exactly how I feel. I don't want to upset people or make them unhappy or hurt them. If I truly shared, this is who I am, this is what I want, this is how I feel, because I never felt like previous relationships were able to handle that or didn't match up to their vision of their life. And so I would diminish myself and discount who I am to try to creep the peace in a relationship. And then I would resent them, which really means I'm resenting myself because I'm, I'm the one responsible. I'm the one doing these things and allowing myself to, to be less of who I am to try to make someone feel confident, loved, and seen. And that was my responsibility and fault with every relationship. 
And that and this is, you know, one of the reasons I love therapy is is creating the awareness and the realization around why I created that pattern. I manifested these relationships. I wasn't responsible for all these things. That's part of the process of undoing things that are uh, not supporting my vision and my heart, truly. What's it like to date in public? Because you're dating, like I looked on her profile, her stuff has a lot of you, your stuff has a lot of her. You know, the thing is like your previous relationships have been in public too. And, I, and sometimes I wonder if people are so public, it's like, does it create expectations of the audiences? Does it create like bad, like, hey, we're faking these things or not fake? You know, it's like- I go back and forth on this because I'm like, I want to be with someone that I can proudly be like, I love this person. This person's amazing. This is like my partner. We're taking over the world together. You know, we're conquering challenges and adversities together. And I want to be able to talk about the person that I appreciate. But I also know the flip side of that, where this expectation of like, okay, as we, if we start posting, do we need do we have to have a certain cadence of posting? Like, I just want everything to be authentic. I want it to be like come from my heart, not because I feel like I'm supposed to. And not because my audience is saying, share more of your relationship. Like, I don't want that. I want it for me and her because I care. And it's like how would I feel in the moment. So it's been a, it's challenge. It's got its challenging times um, with like expectations from the relationship or from the audience or whatever. And I just try to ride up, rise above it and, uh, and not let it affect me. I mean, I think in previous relationships, I've had the partner that was no longer with be really nasty online publicly and try to manipulate conversations, stories, or tell a narrative that wasn't true and or was one side of the truth. I saw it. I was, it was wild seeing it because she was, it was aggressive. Yeah. I never react. I never, I mean, I have so much things that I could say about, you know, anyone in the past who would maybe say something for me. I've got so much Evidence, you know, justifying things, proof, all, all, all these negative things that they've done or whatever it is. But I think um, you learn a lot about someone on how they exit a relationship. You learn a lot about someone's character on how they respond to adversity and how they respond to a breakup. And uh, I, I learned a lot about previous relationships based on how they reacted in public or on social media after the breakups. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, this is why I wasn't supposed to be with this person. I never want to end a relationship badly. I truly care about all the women that I've been with in my life. And for me, it's just like, <laughs> either I'm just like this horrible guy <laughs> that, that did all these bad things every moment of every day of our relationship that they just don't want to talk to me, or they know that I was actually really, really good to them. And it hurts them. So they need to like push me away and talk, like find the things that they didn't like and kind of make those bigger to kind of protect their heart afterwards. I'm always like, hey, listen, we spent, whether it's six months together or years together, whatever it is, we spent a lot of time together and I, I appreciate and love them for who they are. But I think um, maybe that's just a level of maturity thing. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's funny. We do these things reactively, like after the relationship's not going well, I've gone to therapy, couples therapy. <laughs> it's, I think it's interesting to do it preventatively. The preventative, man. It's like, I look at it as an athlete. You know, when I stretch, when I eat well, when I'm prehabbing uh, and doing mobility training, it's like, you don't get hurt then. It's when you don't do it, you get hurt. You pull a muscle, all these things. So it's like investing in preventative care, in my opinion, is the way to go. You got to meet one of the legends of uh, basketball of all time. You know, you got to meet Kobe Bryant. And I think you were, honestly, I think you were one of the first people to, you know, I think a lot of people subsequently did, but I think you got a chance to meet him really early in the social media world. So I'm just curious about that, that overall experience, uh, you know, what you learned from him, the experience with him. It was amazing, man. And I, I mean, listen, I only got to meet him once. So it's not like I was best friends with him or something. But that one experience was my favorite episode before he passed away. And it's still my favorite episode. I booked the interview the night before. And there was a publicist on the phone that someone I was working with who was like, hey, I think we might be able to book Kobe. He's got a new podcast that's just launched. It's in the top 100. He's trying to get like number one. This was in 2018, I believe. And they were like, but he's only available like next month, like at this day and time for like a, a 20 minute window, like in a month away. And I go get back on the phone with this publicist, whoever that reached out and tell them, do not get off the phone until they commit to tomorrow. Because if this thing is scheduled out a month from now, it's not going to happen. I booked Tom Brady months in advance. I had a flight to go to Boston. I had everything lined up and 
confirmed, triple confirmed. And then a couple days before, hey, we're going to have to reschedule. Cancel the flight, everything. And the rescheduling still hasn't happened. This was four years later. And it's like, I'm always following up. And so I just said like, hey, listen, this needs to happen tomorrow. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Do not hang up the phone until they confirm tomorrow. I'll do any time, any place. You tell me where to go. I will be there. And they call me back like 30 minutes later. This is probably like six or seven o'clock at night. And they're like, okay, 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, his office in Orange County. And I was like, done. I'm you know, making calls from my team. Like, hey, we're getting up at 5.30. I'll pick you up. We're driving down there. Let's get the equipment at the place. I'll put it in the back of the car. You know, bada bing, bada boom. And I had a show I was going to that night. My friend Lindsey Sterling had a show in LA that I'd already committed to going to. And so I'm like leaving in an hour to go to this performance of hers. She's an amazing violinist. I'm at the show and I have no time to prepare. Zero time to prepare. And I'm excited. I'm trying to be present at the show, but I'm also like, oh, shoot, I got to leave. She doesn't go on to like 1030 at night. So I'm there till probably like 1130, 12, because I wanted to make sure I was good on that commitment. Go home, sleep for five hours. My videographer, Tiffany, gets in the car and I go, go on Google and tell me everything I need to know. Like do all the research right now. So we have about an hour and a half drive to Orange County and I'm researching everything from childhood, past, present, all this stuff. We're listening to episodes of his latest podcast, which is called The Punies, which is an amazing like kids podcast, the sports themes, narrative show. And I'm like just trying to download as much as I can. I also always try to find three mutual interests that each guest and I have together. And I try to speak into the, the power of the three. And every time you can find, I did this you know, 12 years, 13 years ago when I was using LinkedIn to reach out to celebrities, CEOs, and just big influencers. In the first sentence, I always used the power of three, which was something we both have in common, an interest, a person we both have in common, an association we have in common, whatever, a state we're both from or went to school at, something like that. It's always got to be the power of three. And I remember thinking like, I just looked at who Kobe was following. And luckily it had, you know, a couple people that I'd interviewed and knew that he was following the way he had mutual friends. And I think he was only following like, I don't know, 80 or 100 people at that time, right? Something small. And one of them was Novak Djokovic. And I just had Novak on, you know, maybe the year prior and was building a, a nice friendship with him like a true friendship, not just an interview, but afterwards we connected a bunch. And I knew his passion for the Olympics. And uh, so I, I was like, okay, I'm going to talk about these things, these mutual interests. But I also, the whole thing was surreal because I get there at six, probably like 6.15, knowing that I have an eight o'clock start time. And the publicist said, you've only got 20 minutes because he had a bunch of stuff back to back that whole day. And so I get there at 6.15, 6.20-ish. The assistant lets me and Tiffany into the office. Turn the lights on. I walk into the office. I'm thinking I'm the only one there because the lights were off. So she turns the lights on and she says, here's like the place where we normally film. I was like, uh, I didn't really like the background. I was like, can we go look around the office and see if there's another place to set up? So she walks us down like this long kind of hallway with glass kind of boardrooms on each side. So you're walking down the hallway and then each side is glass windows of conference rooms and offices into another big room on the other side of like a big open space. And as we walk down, we go into the other big room. There wasn't really a nice background. So we walk back into kind of the main area. And as I'm walking back down this long glass hallway of conference rooms, the last room on the left before it opens back up into the main kind of common space, I see a shadow in the back of the room of someone just sitting here like this. And the lights were off. And I was like, took a double take. And I could see that it was Kobe, but he wasn't facing towards me. He was like facing like back and just kind of like looking up and he wasn't on his phone and his computer wasn't turned on at his desk. And I was just like to the assistant, I go, is that Kobe? Like, cause that was a split second that I saw him. And I was like, is that Kobe? And she goes, yeah, he's been here for a little while already. He's normally the first person in and he came here right after he did his workout with his daughter. They worked out in the mornings at like 4 a.m. And uh, the one that also unfortunately passed away and he does basketball and training with his daughter. Then he comes here and I go, I'm an hour and 45 minutes early before 8 a.m. He's in here before me right then. I'm getting chills to thinking about it because right then I was blown away. I was blown away just by that one act of witnessing him with the computer turned off, the phone turned off, him in his office alone, lights turned off, just looking up dreaming. And I was, I can only imagine what is he thinking in his mind? 
Like he must be rehearsing the day, planning something, visualizing the process of it, reflecting, who knows? But I was so amazed at the leadership quality of just showing up, first off. Then we're setting up, and we're setting up close to his office. I can see kind of like a a little bit of his office inside of it, but I can't see all the way to the back where he was. And so I was always wondering, like, is he going to come out? I'm sitting here for an hour and a half. No one else is here. We're setting up. Then maybe like 45 minutes later, around 7, 7.15, a couple of people come in. Then it's, you know, 7.30, 7.45. Then someone goes into his office at 7.45 and the lights turn on. And I'm thinking, I've been sitting here for an hour and a half now and he still hasn't come out. And I'm like, is he going to come out? I have no idea, but let's be ready. I'm trying to research. I'm trying to prepare. We're setting up the lighting, all this stuff. Now the publicists are coming in. More and more people are coming in. There's also another production company setting up across the office because he was doing an interview with Little Wayne right after me. So there was all these other production people and cameras getting set up now. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And so the publicists are like, okay, Kobe's coming out in a few minutes. This is literally five minutes before 8 a.m. She's like, he's going to be coming out in a couple minutes. Again, she gave me a, a sheet with like front and back pages of all the things that I cannot talk about. And she goes, you've got 20 minutes when he gets out here. And so I'm thinking, okay, you, normally I go for an hour because you really can't get much out of someone in 20 minutes, like three questions and you're done. Let me see what I can do. And I remember he came out a couple minutes before eight. And right away, he walks right up to me, super kind, super warm, super like nice. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got two, three minutes until we need to start. Every minute I don't get started is less time I have asking him a question. So Tiffany is like, got the mic and she's putting it on him right away. We're sitting down in the chairs. And as we're just kind of getting ready, I know I've got a couple minutes. I just say right away, hey, Kobe, I just wanted to, to acknowledge you for, I've got a lot of friends who've been to the Olympics. I play with the USA national team uh, handball. And a lot of my Olympic friends and other sports say that in the past few Olympics, one of the greatest moments of their time at the Olympics is not winning a medal. But when they got to hang out with you or you came and watched their sport. And I just want to say it's really cool that you show up for other athletes that way at the Olympics. And right away, he looked at me and just lit up. And he goes, man, you played handball? And I go, yeah, I've been on the team for like seven years. It's you know, a dream of mine to go to the Olympics one day. He goes, I freaking love handball. He goes, I used to play team handball growing up in Italy because it's a massive sport in Europe, but it's pretty much unknown in the USA. And I had a feeling he would know what it is because he grew up in Italy. And he goes, I used to play handball all the time. What a great sport. That's amazing, man. And I said, you know, yeah, it's, it's great. So there's two things right there, handball and the Olympic connection. And I was like, but I need a mutual connection. And I said, you know, I just want to, we have a mutual friend, Novak, Jovac, uh, Novak Djokovic has said some great things about you. I've had him on the show and a bunch of other people. And he goes, you know, Novak, that's my boy, man. He's such a great, he's a killer on the court, this and this. I was like, yeah, you know, we've, you know, it's been fun to connect with him and learn about his mindset. And then after that, I just said, now it's like 60 seconds into before I have to start. And I go, you know, I just want to let you know, uh, your team has told me, you know, what not to ask about. And I know we've got a, a hard out in 20 minutes, but I just wanted to ask, is there anything else off limits that we shouldn't talk about or anything else, you, any other questions for me? And he looked at me and he goes, ask me any question you want and take as long as you need. And I was just like, oh, okay. Now, the publicist was like, no, we got to wrap things up quick. But he was like, he told me, ask, nothing is off limits. Ask me whatever you want, anything about his past, and take as long as you want. And just that was like, okay, I appreciate his willingness to go a little longer. We ended up doing it, I think it was about 40 minutes because the publicist was literally going like this all for like the last 20 minutes, like wrap it up, wrap it up. So I didn't want to be pissing her off and, you know, wanted to respect the whole situation. I'd never seen an athlete or individual at that level open up the way he did. The way he shared his heart, the stories he told, how he told them, the things he just opened up about blew me away, that he was willing to be vulnerable at that level. And to be honest, that one interview unlocked so many new relationships because so many big leaders reached out to me and said, I've watched Kobe for years. I've never, never heard him talk like that. Never heard him express the way he feels about love and relationships and the specific moments in the court, the way he did there, which goes back to building relationships with people, 
when you're having people on, like building relationship, even if you only have three minutes, what are you going to do to build the relationship so they feel like they want to open up to you? Putting in the reps over years of just practicing and seeing how can I get better and making it about them, finding ways to serve their curiosity, finding that, you know, talking about the things that they light up about and, and finding those mutual connecting points as well, whether it be before or during. And it was a, it was a beautiful experience. So I'm just very grateful for the entire event. And then afterwards, I saw he started following me on Instagram. He messaged me and said, hey, we'd love to come back on sometime. I was supposed to interview him again for his next book. We were going to schedule it, but then I had my live event. And I remember debating, should I go back? My event was in Ohio. I was like, should I go back and do an interview with Kobe the day before to get the interview? But I was like, oh, you know, I'll be able to do it again. Now we have like, we're messaging each other on Instagram. He wants to come back on. He asked his team to come back on. I was like, we'll be able to book it again. And then a few months later, unfortunately, he he passed away. So I'm grateful for that moment and that experience and that memory because it was it was a powerful one for me. How do you think he's impacted how you approach your life? The whole interview was amazing. And how he showed up was amazing. But I always got to remember that he was there two hours before our interview. And it was kind of like, this is crazy. He's just another level of intention of visualizing what he wants. And I think he gives himself the time and the space to think and dream and be clear on what is my intention. That's what I'm assuming he's doing. And I've heard other stories. There's another famous story from another basketball player that said, you know, when I went to an away game against the Lakers, I was like, I'm going to be the first one on the court and I'm going to show up early. And I went out there and there was no one in the stands. There was no one else there except for Kobe. And I trained for like an hour and a half and Kobe kept training as well. And he didn't leave. Like I got tired and Kobe just kept shooting on the other side of the court and training. And I left and he was still there. And he later tells a story about how Kobe just wanted to show you that like he was willing to put in the time before you and after you. And it's just like the mentality for me is the dedication is amazing. And I, I don't have that type of discipline for sure. Maybe in some areas of my life, sometimes, but not consistently like he has. And I think that's, that's something that I can, can learn and how to improve that over time. So I'm really just inspired by his, his way of being. I wonder how much being in, in Los Angeles has changed your life, right? Because it seems like you, you, you changed yourself and a lot of your career trajectory when you moved geographically from New York. It's been huge, man. I mean, this is kind of like the entertainment capital. Uh, so having access to all the big influencers and celebrities that are here, having access to events that are here last minute, being able to meet people last minute. You can do a lot of this in New York as well, but a lot of these celebrity actors and influencers are living in LA because this is where the industry is. And also a lot of the media, you know, getting on big shows like the Ellen Show because it's out here and other opportunities has been a game changer for creating a podcast and turning it into a YouTube show. I live in a condo building where it's, I don't know, the biggest TikTok and YouTube celebrities live in. It's like access to opportunities, to relationships, to learning from people. That's been powerful as well. I guess, what do you, you know, one thing Mitchell was talking to me about is like, I guess, how do you see your own legacy? I was thinking, are you, you know, the next Jay Leno? Well, you're the next Lewis Howes. You're the Lewis Howes, but I guess, what do, do you see that legacy of Lewis Howes as? I'm all about finding models, uh, mentors that I can model and mimic. There's no one that's done exactly what I want to do, but there are people that have done parts of what I want to do. So, you know, Oprah is a big inspiration from how she, she built an interview show, right? An interview show that then turned into other media, TV shows, movies, documentaries, online courses, et cetera, et cetera. But it started with an intimate, vulnerable interview show that changed the hearts and lives of mostly women around the country and then around the world. And she found her one main thing. And so I want to be able to interview people from my perspective, from a white, straight male perspective that grew up with my experiences, and how can I connect to the hearts and lives of people as well from my perspective with an interview show. The vision is to impact 100 million people weekly. That's been my vision for a long time. I'm very clear on it. That's what I want to create. And so it's it's figuring out how to build a media engine that serves 100 million people weekly. And me being a part of it in terms of doing an interview show, but also what else would that look like? And building out a network, building out talent, building out other 
media formats in order to build that media engine and being the hub of inspiration for people, the hub of personal growth and improvement. And so that's, that's part of the vision. Me personally, as being kind of the visionary of, of building that engine and that machine to create it, but I'm open to a lot of different, I'm not attached to how it looks, whether I'm doing entertainment stuff outside of that or, or not, I'm not attached to it. I just want to be a part of it. If you need like a Dr. Phil, just holler at your boy. Like you're like, oh, we need a Jewy, like a bald guy. The Dr. Phil of business. I come, I'll support them. Ah, you're a bum. <laughs> no, that's beautiful, man. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting to have model. Like I think sometimes I was talking to one of my uh, advisors and he's like, no, you, you don't need to invent everything. Like most of it's been figured out. Like just pick one or two things to invent and copy, uh, you know, from the best that I've already figured the rest out. I, I like that you're open about that. Because I think a lot of us are like, oh, I got to I gotta figure this out myself. It's like, yeah, you can, or you can just. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've loved mentors and coaches and it's like, okay, what's the thing that I'm inspired by what they've done? How could I, you know, steal like an artist, I guess, and then reinvent it, reinvent it in a way that adds my flavor and style and uniqueness. And it's really like, how can I pull from a few different models and make it a unique model in its own? I guess, how did you end up finding the place that, you know, you were supposed to be in? Or that you, you seem to be enjoying being in? I mean, I did a lot of jobs that I didn't enjoy. And I tried a lot of things until I realized I didn't like them. Until I found something that I was more called to do. And originally that was, I was using LinkedIn to build relationships. And I felt like, oh, this is a platform I can understand. And a lot of people weren't able to understand it. And I really like connecting with people. So let me you know, build more relationships and then let me help other people figure out how to use this. And so I was able to be useful and helpful to people. And I was enjoying the process. So I think it's, for me, it's been, what's the thing that I'm enjoying that gives me energy that's, you know, that lights me up and I, and I like to learn about and I like to overcome challenges within. And then how can I serve the most people within that, within my talents and skills? And that's kind of how I've landed here. I mean, I've done truck driving. I was, you know, interns at different places that didn't work out. I've, you know, done different jobs that, that weren't fulfilling until I found out like, okay, I'd rather be broke, sleep on my sister's couch, but doing something that I'm enjoying and learning. And it took a couple of years until I started to make money. And luckily I had that sister who was willing to like, let me just stay rent free and eat the scraps of her food. And I was willing to just not live a nice lifestyle for a couple of years in order to pursue something. Not everyone has that luxury. I was willing to not enjoy the, the nice things of life to pursue something for a couple of years and learn and develop that skill. And I was also 23, 24. I wonder with the consistency and the things like that, it's also, it does have to have some dream, right? As you talk about vision, like you have a vision of hundred million viewers a week, which is beautiful. Or Kobe, you talked about visioning and, and yourself with the relationship part. I think it has to be like, well, I want a better life or here's what the better life looks like. So let me get going off my ass today, get going on, on some of these things now. Did you, uh, did you ever hook up your sister? Did you ever like buy her like a dinner? Yeah, she works full time with me now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's kind of wild. It's great. She's a great person. Huh. Does she sleep on your couch ever now? Do you have like a night? You should give her a couch. She's been over to my place. Yeah, a few times. Yeah. I'm kind of curious the challenge that what would be the Lewis House challenge for everyone out there? Yeah, the challenge is to create a fear list. So literally get out. Your, I know you have a your notepad right there. Create a new note and call it fear list. I want you to think of the three, five, 10, whatever is the biggest fear in your life. And it's more like not spiders and snakes, although it could be I'm afraid in these environments, but what is the more of the emotional, psychological fear? Is it getting my heart broken in a relationship? Is it public speaking? Is it starting a business and failing? Like, is it having the hard conversation with my mom or whatever? Like, what is that fear that's been holding you back? And I would write down that list, as many big things you can think of, write down the fear list, and then rank, rank them. What's the biggest fear? What's the thing that makes you like clench and tremble inside? And you're like, I could never do this. I could never speak in public. For me, it was when I was a teenager, it was talking to new girls. Like I was like, ah, I don't have the confidence. They're all going to reject me. I, I could never do this. Then when I was older, it was like, I can't speak in front of an audience. I stutter. I'm an ignorant idiot. How could I ever speak in front of an audience? And so these were things that crippled me. And the only way to overcome, to become fearless to become fearless is to overcome your fear list. And I rank them every year. And the top one, you've got to go all in on the scariest thing. That does a couple of things for you. One, you realize at the end of it, the, and I created an experience, experience or a game around it. So give yourself three months, give yourself 30 days, give yourself a year, whatever it is. And then you've got to do something every single day 
to throw yourself into that, to become Batman, to live in the dungeon with bats around you until you become the bat, until you embrace the fear. And it actually becomes a superpower for you as opposed to something that holds you back. And it's easier said than done. But every time I do this, it builds an incredible amount of confidence. It gives me a lot more control over my mind so I don't, don't get held back in situations. I have new skills that I can use in different environments of life. And I just become so much more valuable and powerful in life. And so whenever we have something that has power over us, these fears, it's going to hold us back in different scenarios. And so create your fear list. And in order to become fearless, go all in on the fears until the fear disappears. I love it. Lewis House, School of Greatness. It's been a journey, man. I'll see you in the next one. Well, I'm going to see you more often. Well, actually, we'll be out in LA soon. So I have to- Come hang. Yeah, we'll come hang with you out there. What a, it's so impressive, dude, the journey, man. Good for you. Great for you. Thanks, man. It's one day at a time. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you as well, brother. Well, that is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did. If you're enjoying Lewis and want to learn more about him, go subscribe to his podcast, The School of Greatness. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go sit at the pool and drink pina coladas together. And before you go, tweet at me, at Noah Kagan. I love hearing what you guys think of these episodes. Also, remember to go subscribe to my email list if you haven't already. I put my best tips into a single short email each and every single week. That's sendfox.com slash Noah. Also, make sure you check out AppSumo.com. It is the number one site online for software deals. And if you are starting or growing your business, this should literally be your homepage. If you use code NOAH10 at the checkout, you'll get 10% off any massive savings you're already making. Finally, a couple shout outs to my amazing team. Special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com for everything he does on these episodes. Thank you to David Mitchell, Jeremy, and Jen from the Dork Team. Plus you, Hubert. Thanks, homie. Finally, a shout out to Crystal Grover and Luke Francis on the AppSumo team. Thanks for getting our plus members seamless and expedited entry into our affiliate program. Have an island day. What's your favorite vacation spot? <laughs> <laughs>